You're listening to A New Beginning with Greg Laurie, a podcast supported by Harvest Partners. For more ways to deepen and challenge your spiritual walk, enroll in Pastor Greg's free online courses. Sign up at harvest.org. Can God reach lost people without us? Yes. But does He want to reach lost people without us? No. Today, Pastor Greg Laurie points out God reaches people through people. And we each need to be available to reach out on His behalf. Did it ever occur to you that cranky neighbor, that, that difficult to deal with co-worker, uh, that person that you come into contact with on a regular basis could be your mission field? This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Again you hear all the angels are singing. This is the day, the day when life begins. People often ask one of the big questions. Why are we here? What's the purpose of life? Ask a dozen people and you'll get a couple of dozen answers. But God put us here and He knows exactly why we're here. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie points out we're to know God and to make Him known. And today we'll follow one of the great dramatic stories of the Bible where a person's heart for God and the providence of God come together in spectacular fashion. Well, let's all grab our Bibles and turn to the book of Esther. And I'm going to ask you to turn to one other book of the Bible in addition that we're going to jump over to, and that is the book of Ephesians. So we're turning to Esther chapter 3, and we're also turning to Ephesians chapter 1. Why don't we start with a word of prayer? Father, we're thankful for your word, because your word is true. And in your word, you tell us that you love us. And in your word you tell us that you chose us. And we're thankful for that. So Lord as we open scripture we ask you to speak to us now. And we ask all of this in Jesus name. Amen. The title of my message is Why God Chose You. Imagine for a moment if you could know the future. You know if I could have a superpower, uh, I don't know if I would really want this one in particular. But imagine for a moment if you knew the future. You knew everything that was about to happen. You knew who would both play in and win the next Super Bowl. You knew how your favorite show was gonna end. You knew who was gonna be elected to office. You knew how the stock market was going to go. Okay, if you had this knowledge, do you think it would affect the choices you would make? Well, of course it would. Because, well, for starters, you would make wise choices based on the facts. If you knew that if I walk into the street, a giant truck is coming, you probably wouldn't walk in the street at that moment. If you knew the stock market was going a certain direction or which stocks should be bought where you could make the most money, you would probably choose the right stocks, I would think. And so consider this, God knows the future. And not only does he know the future, but he has a plan for the future. Think about this. When Jesus walked this earth, he knew everything about everyone. He had their number. He knew their thoughts. In fact, sometimes Jesus would say to people, why are you thinking this in your heart? 
So if you were hanging around Jesus, he could read your mind so you couldn't even think a bad thought without him knowing about it. So he knew all things, and here's what's amazing. He chose Simon Peter, and yet he knew that Simon Peter would fail him. In fact, Jesus said to Peter, 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 Satan has been asking for you to be sifted as wheat, but I have prayed for you that when you fail, you will return again and strengthen your brothers. So Jesus was not only predicting the fall of Peter, but he was predicting the return of Peter as well. I bring this up because sometimes it looks like God chooses losers, but God knows the big picture and he knew Peter would come around. That brings us back to Esther. She was chosen by God, handpicked by the Lord to literally not only save her nation, but really in effect to save the Jewish people. Now when we last left Esther, a bad moon was rising. The villain of the story, Haman, emerges on the scene. And now he has come into power, as you recall. The king has put him as second in command. And not only that, but the king has given to Haman his signet ring. That would be like giving someone your credit cards or giving them your passwords. Haman had access to all the power of the king and he hatches this wicked plot to eradicate the Jewish people from the face of the earth. Why? Well, as we discovered together, uh, Haman was an avowed enemy of Israel, descended from the Amalekites. Uh, King Agag was spared, and the Agagites were a race of people, and Haman was an Agagite. So he had a blood feud with Israel. And of course, uh, our good friend Mordecai and Esther were Jews, so they would be on his hit list now with this plan. Let's look at Esther 3, starting in verse 5. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality. So he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Now that would be the Persian Empire. So he's in power. He wants to wipe the Jewish people out and he gets the king's approval. So Mordecai uh, catches wind of this plot. And so he, being a government official himself, sends word to Esther saying, you've got to do something. Meanwhile, Esther is living in the literal lap of luxury there in the palace of the king. She was secluded and isolated and knew nothing about the plight of her people. So Mordecai is standing outside of the walls of the palace covered in sackcloth. He's in mourning because of this threat against the Jews and, and someone notices him and says, hey Esther, your cousin's outside, not dressed very well. He, he looks pretty unhappy. She says, well send him some new clothes and, and they send him some clothes. Talk about missing the point altogether. And so now Mordecai needs to tell Esther what's really coming down. And I have to say, this reminds me a little bit of some people in the church. You know, we can be isolated in our little Bible bubble and our holy huddle. And we don't really care all that much about people that don't know the Lord. We're thinking, well, that's their problem. Why should I put a, a door hanger on their door? Why should I give them an invitation? I, I know I'm saved. I know where I'm going when I die. Yeah, but wait. You can't just stand around in indifference while people are dying without God. God has put 
you where you are for such a time as this, just as surely as God put Esther where she was for such a time as this. Remember, cousin Mordecai said to Esther when she went into the palace as the new queen, he said, don't tell anyone you're Jewish. But now he's saying it's time to step up your game. You need to play your hand and declare uh, who you are and do something to save your people. That brings us to Esther chapter four. Look at verse 13. Mordecai said to Esther, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. But who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Very interesting statement that Mordecai makes to Esther. Here's what we need to remember. God does not need us. Sometimes I've heard people say, God needs us. The reason God created humanity is because He was lonely up there in heaven and wanted some companionship. Nonsense. God doesn't need anything or anyone. But having said that, it is true that God wants us. It is true that God loves us. It is true that He longs for relationship and friendship with us. Now, here's the question. Can God reach lost people without us? Yes. But does He want to reach lost people without us? No. Because the Bible says, how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Uh, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good tidings of peace. So here's what Mordecai is saying to Esther. Girl, listen. If you don't act on this, God will raise up somebody else, but don't think you're off the hook here because uh, you'll die along with the rest of your fellow Jews. But did it ever occur to you that you are where you are because God put you there? I mean, did it ever occur to you that cranky neighbor, that, that difficult to deal with coworker, uh, that person that you come into contact with on a regular basis could be your mission field? Did you ever stop and think about praying for that person by name and praying for an opportunity to engage them in a conversation to lead them to Christ? And so she was chosen by God and we've been chosen by God. We'll get some additional insight on the fact we're chosen by God as Pastor Greg takes us to the words of Jesus in just a moment. Stay with us. Hey everybody, what are you doing this weekend? I'd like to hang out with you at Harvest at Home. What is Harvest at Home? It is a time of worship and Bible study exclusively designed for people that are viewing in from all over the place. So you can be a part of our extended congregation at Harvest at Home. Join us this weekend, Saturday and Sunday for Harvest at Home at harvest.org. Well, Pastor Gray continues now with today's study called Why God Chose You, a message available at harvest.org. That brings us to Ephesians. Pop over there really quick, Ephesians chapter one. Why did God choose us? How many of you believe you've been chosen by God? Raise your hand up, that's good. Why do you think God chose you? Well, here's the answer in Ephesians one, verse four. Just as he chose us, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption, you might underline those words, adoption to adoption, as sons by Jesus Christ Himself, according to the good 
pleasure of his will. Listen to this. Before the world was made, before sin came in, God chose you to be with him through all eternity. You say, but how do you know that? Because Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Now the question that comes to our minds when we read that is, well, but why? Why would God choose me? What goodness or merit did God see in me that he would choose me as his child? I hope you're not disappointed by my answer. None. There was no goodness. There was no merit. It's not even because you were lovable. The fact is he chose you despite you. Despite your sinfulness, despite my shortcomings, he chose us. Despite our high opinions that we hold of ourselves, God's choosing had nothing to do with our value per se. It was based on his love. Why did God choose us? The answer is the same reason he chose the nation Israel. The Lord said to Israel, he didn't set his love upon them or choose them because they were more in number than other people, for they were the fewest. The Lord chose them because he loved them. That's why he chose Israel. That's why he chose you, because he loved you and he loves you. You say, but I don't understand that. Well, join the club. Who understands it? Just rejoice in it. And that brings up the subject of predestination. And by the way, the greatest theological minds have grappled with predestination for hundreds of years, and I'm gonna settle it right here, right now. Because <laughs> I have it all figured out. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. But I'll take my best shot at how I see it. It's been said, quote, try to explain election. That's predestination, another word for it. Try to explain election, and you may lose your mind. Try to explain it away, and you may lose your soul, end quote. So how does God predestine us? How does he choose us? What is the basis for that choice? Some who would identify themselves as Calvinists or being reformed would say it's irresistible grace. Irresistible grace is the teaching that no matter what you think, you cannot resist the grace of God. It's a done deal. It's decided in eternity. Irresistible grace. You couldn't say no even if you wanted to. By the way, I disagree with that. And then there's even what might be described as double predestination, which means God has chosen that certain people go to heaven and certain people go to hell. He's chosen it. You have no choice in the matter. God just decided on whatever basis He chose. You're going to heaven, heaven, hell, hell. That's not personal, by the way. I don't mean anyone, but <laughs> hell, hell, heaven, heaven. I reject this teaching completely, by the way. And a part of this is also limited atonement, which means Christ only died for the elect. In other words, Jesus only died for the ones that he predestined. He only died for the chosen ones. You have nothing to say in the matter. Now listen, this is incorrect because the Bible clearly says that God loves the world. Christ did not just die for the elect. He died for the world, all sinners, because Jesus said, for God so loved what? The world that he gave his only begotten son. Over in Romans uh, 5, 6 to 8, it says, when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
doesn't say he died for only the elect. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die. Perhaps for a good man some would dare to die. But God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now whether you like it or not, the Bible teaches both predestination and free will. The Bible teaches that God chose you, but it also tells you that you must choose Him. It's sort of like this. You're in your car, you're cruising down the freeway of life, and there's an off-ramp. And the off-ramp says, whosoever will, let him come. And you've had a lot of people tell you they've pulled off in that off-ramp and it's changed their life, and you just don't want to break your routine. But week after week, month after month, you go out by that off-ramp and you go, what's going on over there? I wonder if I should take that turn and see what's going on. Whosoever will, let him come. So one day you pull your car off the off-ramp, you park it, you get out and there's a door. Whosoever will, let him come. You open the door, you walk in, you shut the door behind you, and on the other side of the door it's written, chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. How do you know if you're chosen by God? Believe in Jesus Christ and you'll prove that you were. How do you find out if you're not chosen? Don't believe. It's really, in many ways, up to you. You have a role to play in all of this. You see, you choose. So will you choose him? Spurgeon said, it's a good thing God chose me before I was born because if he had waited until afterwards, it would have changed his mind. <laughs> but Spurgeon was saying that tongue in cheek, which means he meant it sarcastically. The fact is God knew exactly who you were. Uh, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, put it this way, quote, the whosoever wills are the elect. The whosoever won'ts are the non-elect, end quote. It's not as though God predestines some people to heaven and predestines others to hell. He wants all to believe, and you could look at it this way. God predestines every person to be saved. In effect, the devil predestines every person to be damned. Man has the casting vote. You decide where you will spend eternity. But when you make that decision and follow Christ, you prove you were chosen. You say, Greg, you've just confused me even more. I know. I didn't say I would make it make sense. I, I'd just take a shot at it. But, uh, but here's what it comes down to. Sometimes people get so wound up in sort of reformed thinking that they can't even say to a person, God loves you. Because they think, well, what if I say God loves you to one of the non-elect who's been predestined to hell? So I can't just say God loves you. Well, any theology that would stop you from saying to a non-believer God loves you, any theology that would stop you from sharing the gospel is a false theology. Because biblical theology says to share the gospel. So Esther had a choice. She could just sit in luxury and forget about the problems of the world or she could put it all on the line and act. And, and we have a choice too. We don't have to share our faith. God can save people without us. There's a story in the book of Acts about a guy from Ethiopia that went to Jerusalem searching for God. Remember that story? He didn't find God. He did get a copy of the scripture, Isaiah. And by the way, back in those days with no printing presses, that was quite a gift they gave to him, but it was probably because he was a foreign dignitary. Hand lettered by a scribe, the scroll of Isaiah. So he's reading it, trying to figure it out, leaving Jerusalem on his way back home. And meanwhile, the Lord speaks to a guy named Philip and says, go to the desert. And when Philip goes to the desert, 
Then he sees the men from Ethiopia and his entourage and Philip engages them with the gospel. But it's interesting, an angel of the Lord told Philip to go to the desert to talk to this man. Why didn't the angel of the Lord just go directly to the man from Ethiopia and give him the gospel? Because the job of angels is not primarily to deliver the gospel. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. So God will orchestrate events and put things in place so you can have those opportunities to lead people to Jesus Christ. Pastor Greg Laurie, making it clear just how important it is we follow through and share the good news with those around us. And of course, our mission statement here at A New Beginning is knowing God and making Him known. It's our goal to equip you to share your faith. Well, Pastor Greg, we're excited about your new book called Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, subtitled The Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. Mm -hmm. The title lists Jesus among some seemingly dissimilar names, you know, Bob Dylan, John Lennon, Alice Cooper. It's almost like a civil service exam, you know, pick the one that doesn't belong. (laughs) Yes. Well... Go to the Bible and look at Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus and Zacchaeus, Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery. It fits because my point is take these iconic people and I want to tell you about their spiritual journeys. That's a spiritual biography of rock and roll. And it has some surprising revelations about maybe your favorite pop a rock star, things you did not know about them, specifically in the area of their search for God. For instance, take John Lennon. Of course, we all remember his famous statement when he said the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. And let me just address that for a moment. Uh, to a generation of people at that moment in time, there was some truth to that. And I would include myself as a young person because I knew nothing of Jesus, but I knew everything about the Beatles. And Lennon went on to try to explain it, saying, well, if I would have said television is more popular than Jesus, there wouldn't have been this controversy or uproar. But things changed in the life of John Lennon after he made that statement. And we explore those things in the book. Now, I'm not suggesting John Lennon was a Christian at the end of his life. But I have to point this out. There is a moment in time when John Lennon made a profession of faith to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not only that, he recorded two gospel songs that you can find online if you search for them. Now, it was not a long-lasting thing, but it was very big to him. He wrote about it extensively in his diary. But then he seemed to fall away from that. But in some ways, toward the end of his life, which was a very tragic end, you see that he mentioned some of those things again. So here's my point. John Lennon made a profession of faith earlier in his life. He was tragically gunned down in New York City by Mark David Chapman. He was conscious after he was shot. He was being driven to the hospital, and the police officer driving him said, do you know who you are? And Lennon replied, yes, I do. If he was conscious and aware, if John Lennon called out to Jesus Christ in the final moments of this life, would his prayer have been heard? 
The answer is yes. We think of the thief on the cross who said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I wrote this book to give encouragement and hope to people out there who will read it who have a loved one that is not a Christian. They don't seem like they would ever become a Christian. It might be your husband or wife or your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter or a coworker or a friend. And you will see in this book, as you explore the lives of those who have been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, and in many cases, been the T-shirt, that they climbed to the top of the mountain and there was nothing there. So should it surprise us that these people are searching for a deeper meaning in life? You see, when you are thinking, if only I was rich, if only I was famous, if only I had a record, or if only I filled a you know a stadium with a bunch of people chanting my name, I would be happy. These people have experienced it. They know that's not the answer. So many of them have gone on a deep search for God. So there's a lot here that may surprise you. Mm, yeah, that's right. It's a fascinating read. And we want to make it available to you to thank you for your partnership in this ministry. A New Beginning and Harvest Ministries are dedicated to helping people find the real answers to the big questions of life, to look beyond the lures of this culture and this world and find what their soul is longing for. And, you know, in the last couple of years, more than 220,000 people have made professions of faith in Christ. And if you can partner with us to reach even more, we'd like to thank you by sending this new book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. Just give us a call at 1-800-821-3300. We can take your call anytime. That's 1-800-821-3300. Or go online to harvest.org. Well, next time, more insight about the confidence we can have as being men and women chosen by God. More from our studies of Esther. Join us here on A New Beginning with pastor and Bible teacher, Greg Laurie. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Harvest Ministries, follow this show and consider supporting it. Just go to harvest.org. And to find out how to know God personally, go to harvest.org and click on Know God.